0: Welcome to the Inspirational Australians podcast, where we chat to people making a difference in their communities and in the lives of others. And here is your host for today, Josh
1: Griffin. Thanks, Annette. Now, before we get into this week's episode with Viv Allenson, just wanted to let everyone know that we're actually going through a very exciting stage with the 7 News Young Achieve Awards. Finalists have been announced across all of our programs. And you can check them out on our Facebook pages, Seven News Young Achiever Awards. You'll notice there's one for each state. And we're coming up to our gala dinner presentation events. Now, our team at Awards Australia are extremely excited, to say the least, to be holding events again in 2021. Obviously, uh, last year that wasn't possible. So event managers around the country are rejoicing. So check out who the finalists are. I'm sure you might know some of them. And the People's Choice Voting is live too, so you can get involved that way. All right, now on to the podcast. Just a reminder, we are on Instagram at inspirational.australians. Check out our page. We are featuring some snippets of uh, the podcast episodes and some videos from our guests. It's a great way for you to put a face to the name of who you're listening to. Lastly, if you know of any inspirational Australians, let us know. Email us, info at awardsaustralia.com. On to this week's dose of inspiration, we're talking to Viv Allinson, as I mentioned before. She's a CEO who never accepts the status quo. In fact, she's just been announced as the Australian Game Changer of the Year and Visionary CEO of the Year in her role as CEO of Maroba. In that role, Maroba has continued to be on the front foot and frequently recognized for its innovation within the aged care sector and across the business community. Viv is a leader who strives to bring others on the journey of growth and change always sharing generously her time and experience to support all who aspire to be a difference maker. The registered nurse in Viv never lays down and is always advocating for the profession and its advancement as an integral part of the healthcare team. Viv has created a positive teaching aged care facility over 25 years at Maroba and continues to provide exciting career opportunities for the young and more mature students and employees. So Viv, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here.
1: Now, I'd like to ask you about that. I mean, I've done a little bit of research, so I kind of know the answer. But when I read that last part in your bio about creating a positive teaching aged care facility, I didn't quite understand what that meant at first. Do you mind kind of letting people know what that that means?
0: Sure. Well, when I was uh, a young nurse, so I was a student nurse at Royal Newcastle Hospital, which was a teaching hospital, and I loved that environment, multidisciplinary teams, every discipline being represented on the on the landscape of the hospital and many students. So everyone was learning all along the journey. Yes, you had senior experience, people overseeing all of that, but that environment uh, really led me to wanting to recreate a teaching experience, a teaching environment in an aged care service. So when I started in 1994 at Marroba, uh, I set about establishing that uh, on a very low-key level because I had no resources. And I have to say, I still have no resources to do that. Oh,
1: really? uh,
0: and I find it interesting because uh, the government, even the Royal Commission, talked about, you know, funding uh, aged care services to create teaching facilities. Uh, but I've built it with no uh, funding. I call it the goodwill economy, uh, and that has really worked. So, for instance, Moroba has the only uh, permanent speech pathology student unit based in a nursing home uh, in partnership with our university in Australia. We have uh, physio students, OT students, social work students, nursing students, We even have business students. We have, we've even had architectural students uh, because there's a lot of built environment involved in aged care. So there are so many opportunities to bring students into service to experience firsthand what it's like to work multidisciplinary so that everyone has a contribution to make to the best possible outcome for those seniors in our care. So it's been a great journey for me, and um, I'm looking forward to what comes next. Uh, we're launching on the new graduate nurses program in in uh, collaboration with Axa, and that started. We've uh, employed our first um, uh, re- new brand new registered nurse will do their uh, post grad year here with us.
1: So that sounds like it's uh yeah, as you in your bio, a very innovative approach that wasn't. Sounds like that's not happening really in, in many well, aged care places.
0: Some aged care services have tried to do it, and I know there's been funding for, for that over time. And as soon as the funding stops, the program stop. Many aged care services are doing a great job trying to bring, have students, so they might have nursing students, uh, but may not be able to offer the services to have the whole range of the healthcare uh, people, uh, the multidisciplinary team, involved in their service. But it's it's a great aspiration and, and, you know, I I love it because we're always challenged. You know, bringing students into our facility means we are always going to be challenged always our practice is always going to be questioned. Uh, We're going to be exposed to, you know, latest best practice or latest learnings, uh, whatever that may look like. I find that exciting because as a registered nurse, I, I don't want to stand still in my practice. Uh, I want to be uh, evolving all the time, and I don't intend to go back to uni at my age, but I learn through uh, the student voices that come here uh, and the things that they share with us. So I, th- I think it's great, and it's, it's good to keep us all on our toes, having uh, extra eyes, learning eyes, because mm. learning eyes have a different perspective of what services and care we deliver. And so whilst they're their uh, their perspective may seem might maybe naive at times or they don't really understand the dynamic of what's happening here well if they don't let's help them understand but let's not filter out the benefit of their perspective hundred percent it's uh, it's very valuable
1: they could be coming in and asking an insightful question with fresh eyes and learning eyes as you said that yes to think oh well, actually I've been working here for a long time but we hadn't seen it from that perspective before
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, so there's a lot of comings and goings uh, from Moroba. And look, our residents, they love seeing young people, they love seeing new faces, they love our carers, but they also do love meeting new people and her- hearing their stories and, and all of those kind of things. And the lovely thing with the speech pathology people is I would invariably meet the group and I'd ask them, well, what are your career aspirations? What do you hope to do in the future? And they'd all say, Oh, I'm going to work in paediatrics, you know, because that's where it's happening. That's where it's a happening thing. It's all very lively and exciting in paediatrics. And I say, Oh, well, that's beautiful. I go back to them at the end of their six week placement and I say, How are you traveling? How did you find the experience at Maroba? And they all say, I loved it. I want to work with older people. So Mm -hmm. the, the opportunity of having students in the building, in the facility, touching the lives of older people, I get excited because I'm creating a future interested and engaged workforce. Now, they may never come and work on my watch, but I know down the track at some point they will recall their experience with older people and say, gosh, I'd love to go back and have another crack at that. And they'll come back because their first exposure to aged care was a good one. And that, that's, the, that's the, the gift that keeps giving. When you have a student, you, you won't get to employ them next week or next month or at the end of their course. But five years into their career or 10 years into their career, that's when you'll capture them back.
1: Mm. And that's when uh, they'll have even further learnings and further skills have developed and they'll be a real asset to your team.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And they've already fallen in love with older people, so you don't have to do that piece of the work.
1: Yeah, true. <laughs> Well, um yeah, I'm glad that you're talking about uh, you know, older people and kind of, you know, battling some of the stigma around what that's like, because uh, I think for some people they might, you know, have a certain idea. And I think that maybe our chat will help, I guess, enlighten or, or give a new viewpoint to some people. But um before we delve too far down, because you know, speaking to to you a CEO with twenty, I think it's almost up to twenty seven years now. Am I am I getting that right? Yes, it is I'll,
0: I'll have been here twenty seven years.
1: I mean, when you're asking someone with that kind of you know, impressive career, where do you, I'm thinking, where do I start? So why not at the start, when uh, you first joined Meroba, had you already been in aged care? Was it something that was already passionate for you?
0: So I started in aged care a couple of years earlier as a deputy. Deputy Director of Nursing at another nursing home, another faith-based organisation at East Maitland at Green Hills Nursing Home, and I just loved the experience. It was wonderful. One day uh, the Director of Nursing, who I'd become great mates with, she went a bit silent on me and we were sharing an office and I thought, now, something's wrong. What have I done? And I said, now, Syl, so I'm not going home today until you tell me what's wrong. Nothing. I said, look, I've never been married, but this is what I imagine a bad marriage to be like, getting the silent treatment. <laughs> I said, I'm not going home until you tell me. Well, she finally said to me, look, Biv, you're leaving us. And I was horrified. I said, what have I done? You know, what sort of HR practice is this? You're leaving us. Uh, I said, I love it here, and I'd really love to stay. And Sylvia's uh, passed away now, but she was a wonderful woman. And she said, Biff, the... Director of Nursing position at Maroba has been advertised and it's written for you and you're ready for your own ship. So she was ready to support me uh, taking that next step in my career. And I got the job and uh, in four years, no, 1994, so then by 2000 uh, I'd been Executive Director of Nursing and then the the business and property manager was leaving and told the board that it was time that they matured and had their first CEO and he suggested that they should ask me to do it. Two of the board came to see me and said, look, we'd like you to be our first CEO. Uh, And I said, look, I think you should get someone that can add up. (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't add up. Uh, And I said, I'm not that good at spelling either. So they said, look, we can get people to cover your spelling and you're adding up. So <laughs> we'd like you because you're strong on clinical and we'd like that to be remain Maroba's focus into the years ahead. Now, I, I couldn't have dreamed that I would still be here at Maroba 27 years on. So it's been a great experience uh, getting to know people and getting to have them, you know, change me, challenge me, uh, grow with me, grow me. It's been a, a lovely, a lovely mix of how this experience has impacted my life and how, you know, together we've made a difference to older people. And that's been the exciting part. So that's how it started. That's how I got to Marais, but by accident, not looking, uh, available, I guess, but not seeking.
1: <laughs> well, uh, I think it speaks volumes that uh, not only did your current at another place, say you need to keep some opportunity, but then uh, once you're there, the board said we need to elevate you to, you know, the CEO level. So, yeah, clearly your actions speak very loud.
0: Well, one thing I say to people, I often uh, get asked to give a a Viv talk, not a tech talk, but a Viv talk. A Viv
1: talk. Tell us what's a Viv talk.
0: One of the things I, as I look back, and I say, well, how did that happen? Here I, here I was in my, um, how old would I have be? been? Anyway, maybe early 40s, and I'm at home one night, I'm in my dressing gown, slippers on, and the front doorbell rings and two board members coming off to me the CEO job without an interview, and I just think, well, isn't that remarkable? <laughs> <laughs>
1: it do, you,
0: how, how, do you, how did I get that? You know, here I am. You how do, you, how do you, Who in Australia has been given a CEO role whilst they're burning their pyjamas? <laughs> at 8 o'clock at night, you know, it's like, but I, the reflection on that is I look back and what I'm able to share with people is I can see that throughout my career uh, and particularly as I matured, as a, as a, from a, a young, well, at 17 I started losing, so I was, you know, a pretty wild teenager. Uh, but then as I matured, I lived at the next level, and that's, that's what I would encourage people to do. Stop looking for the title before you behave differently. Stop looking for the pay rise. Stop looking for the, the status of, of the job that you aspire to. Start living at that level and you won't need to apply for the job. They'll be offering you the job. I like, you know, very basics, you know, I always clean my shoes every day. I never leave the house without clean shoes. Why? Because I don't want to ask anyone to do what I'm not prepared to do, and what is it about a health service? Well, we should come with well, you know crispy clean uniforms and clean shoes, good base, good starting point. Mm. But if the CEO wasn't leading the way on that, and I'm coming with scruffy shoes and unironed clothes and whatever, I started doing that from day one when I started nursing. I yeah. wasn't prepared. I wanted to be at the next level, uh, and so I was unintentionally living at the next level well no you hear people say well i'm not going to do that that's above my pay rate but is it within your capacity to do it do you have the skill to do it do you have any inclination to make a difference in that situation or are you going to keep sitting back and saying it's not my pay rate i'm not doing it whatever profession people are in my best advice is live at the next level
1: that's wonderful advice
0: level. and it doesn't take it it doesn't take a degree doesn't take any more education to be living at the next level take on more responsibility
1: no i love that point because you hear some people or you know the phrase natural leader for example but i think what you're talking about there is to me more powerful it's intentional leadership putting thought into it putting those thoughts into practice and then living it every day as you were saying you know such a simple example Clean shoes, crisp uniform, but that's just showing this is the example that I'm setting. This is what I expect. Yep. Yeah, that's a great yeah I think it's really great advice. Yeah. But
0: don't wait until you've got the manager badge to do it. Because mm. you'll never be recognised to be the manager if you're not able to do it when you're not the manager. And another thing I say to our people is, where's your name badge? Are you prepared to be named? for the care and service that you deliver. Because if I find you're not wearing a name badge, you're telling me I'm I'm going under the radar. If I'm not prepared to be named, I don't want these residents or these relatives to know my name. Now, if you're wearing your badge, I then can say, if you're prepared to be named for what you, you do, I'm prepared to be named for you because it'll be me in front of the Royal Commission. It'll be me in front of the Commissioner. It'll be me before the authorities and I would far rather be standing before them being prepared to be named for what they did. So, again, a simple step in leadership. Everyone can show leadership by being prepared to be named for what you do. It helps us to be more accountable and saying, well, look, am I prepared to be named for walking past that rubbish in the car park? Now, most people say, oh, well, no, I would never walk past anything like that. But you see people walk past those things all the time. I won't because I'm not prepared to walk past what I'm not prepared to accept. Now, I don't, you don't need a high pay grade to do that.
1: No.
0: You don't need any more training to do that. It's just start looking for ways that you can be a difference maker at whatever pay rate you're on and you will be making a difference.
1: Now, Viv speaking to you, it's very clear as to uh you know why you've won some of these awards that you've won. Um, for example, the Game Changer of the Year and Visionary CEO. Another one that wasn't in your bio that I I found and thought sounded lovely, and again, I'm seeing why, is you were named the most compassionate CEO.
0: That is my favorite. I I nearly cried when I saw that come through. Yeah, really. Uh, because I just I felt that's, that's, I'm a nurse. And, you know, if I can't exhibit compassion, then, you know, I shouldn't be wearing the, 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 the RN badge. I shouldn't be, you know, carrying, carrying myself in that space. Um, many years ago, as a young leader, I had a, uh, one of the nursing leaders at Royal Newcastle used to say all the time to me, the trouble with you is, and she'd have a finger out, the trouble with you. <laughs> is you wear your heart on your sleeve. So that tells you I never held back. People didn't have to second guess what I was thinking. They they knew, but that's the trouble with you. And I used to, and she used to mean it to put me down, put me back in my box. Uh, but I, I was very proud of that because I thought, wow, I'm a nurse and she's recognising I have a heart mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's on my sleeve and I'm prepared to bring it into the workplace and bring, bring it into every care intervention that I deliver, whether it be as a direct care worker or a manager or leader. So to this day, that lady is uh, deceased now. She was a great leader, but uh, I think she found that irritating with me and had to keep pointing it out. uh, Many years later, I remember she introduced me to function and I hadn't worked in the public health system for two decades and she uh, introduced me as Viv, and, you know, the trouble with her is she wears a heart on the sleeve, and I thought, you still haven't let it go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Must still keep you up at night. <laughs> but I thought, oh, well, I've made an impact there. But it's so important to bring our hearts uh, into what we do. And I see, you know, we see all the, the terrible things on the Royal Commission and what is taking place in, in aged care and disability services and uh, all of that but when you think of it you know how are we as a society showing up are we are we allowing people to bring their humanity you know into their workplace I mean, how many times are you 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 might be too young but I remember hearing all the time from leaders and managers you know don't bring your baggage to work leave it in the car and yet what is our baggage our baggage is our humanity And if I say to people, look, leave your humanity in the car, if you don't mind, I've only employed your hands and feet. Mm -hmm. But really I say to our people at Orientation, look, I've employed your hands, your feet, your head and your heart. So if you're a little bit broken like me, like the rest of us, uh, you know, you're not going to have a spectacular day every day. You're going to be, you know, showing up less than perfect. But that's our humanity. That's a mirror of society and yet somehow there's this expectation that that healthcare people will be robotic. They won't ever make a mistake. They won't Mm -hmm. ever say the wrong thing. They'll always intuitively know the right words to use in every situation. Well, they don't. Why? Because we're just like everybody else. We're frail and we're broken. if I say leave that in the car, then how do we connect with the humanity of an older, frail person that has been through so much in their lives and are also broken. There's
1: Can't expect bad. them to do that.
0: Yeah. How, how do we do that connection if we're putting on this facade of, no, I'm the perfect professional. You know, I don't talk about stuff like that with you. You know, you'll need a psychologist if you want to unpack your story uh, to, to research. But, you know, these the, our staff are are hearing and I hear so many very deep-seated stories from residents but I connect and I want our people to connect with that connect with their pain uh, and connect with uh, whatever's going on for them and I can't do that if they've got to leave their emotions and everything else in the car.
1: Mm. Now this is from an outsider's perspective my perspective just a a question I have is it Sometimes, you know, I can imagine in an aged care facility or in a medical kind of sense, the employee is thinking, well, I've to. I've got so much to do today, I have to rush from this patient to the next patient, carry out all these tasks and therefore, you know, and this is stemming my question from what you were saying before about leave your baggage at the door. Well, if they don't have, they're like, oh, I don't have time to listen to your story, then they're missing out on an opportunity there, aren't they, to connect?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely, and look, there's no question that people working in aged care are under horrendous time pressures. Every day uh, there's pressures on the roster. You might have the perfect roster that by, that by, you know, six o'clock the next morning three people have rung in sick, all the agency people have been taken up, You can't get a replacement and everybody's, you know, struggling to get the work done. But, you know, there's other people in the service that can also uh, engage with the resident, um, not just the carer. And I think you know, carers are, are pretty good at judging that. They might say, look, I'm, I'm going to come back and we'll have a chat. You know, like, let me just get this stuff finished and I'll, I'll come back. Or I'm going to see, you know, Vicky out, the spiritual care director is available and she might be able to come and ha- sit, have time to have a chat with you or refer on to other people. I mean, I've had I've had staff say to me, uh, if, you know, Mary's, Mary's dying, her family's there. would you go and say a prayer with them and ask me to go and, and sit with the family and talk and you know I love those opportunities because I can again bring my humanity to their situation. I can genuinely feel their their pain and their distress and just help help them just by listening and talking them through and sharing what they might expect next and all of those kind of things so staff are. Fairly aware of who might be a better person mm. uh, in the moment for this situation, uh, and they might come up with no, it's still them, yeah, and, and make a time to come back.
1: So it's good. So, you mentioned that um, just then you're saying a prayer, and earlier you mentioned Maroba is a faith uh, based facility, is that correct?
0: Yes, yes,
1: yeah. So, can you tell us a bit more about that?
0: Well. Morobah was started by one single Baptist church. Islington Baptist. The, it was started by uh, a gentleman called Viv Cork, another Viv. There you go. And he was an ostler. Now, do you know what an ostler is? I do not. Someone that takes care of horses.
1: Okay, there you go. Oh, I'm you.
0: old enough to, to remember having our bread delivered by a horse and cart. Now, you're probably thinking, (laughs) my goodness, Viv, you don't look that old. No, but it's a true story. Our bread was delivered by a horse and cart from the store, uh, which was a cooperative in Newcastle, and Viv Cork was the ostler who looked after those horses. But on a Sunday, he used to go to various places, uh, aged care services, and pick up the elderly ladies who were part of the church, the congregation, who were widows or had, you know, Uh, never married and take them to church and he was horrified the way that people spoke to them oh Mary you've forgotten your gloves again that's terrible you know how many times have I got to tell you and he went back to the church he had a dream he said can't we start something where we can give these ladies back their dignity and the church captured that dream three people mortgaged their homes Really? to buy a, an old cottage in Mayfield. It was 10-room maternity cottage and turned it into the Maroba Rest Home for Elderly Ladies was how Maroba started and it was by faith. They didn't have money. They just by faith went and mortgaged their homes. And so Maroba has a very strong foundation of faith and, and has grown over time uh, and to to where it is today, but that strong core of faith remains the same. Now, that's not to say anyone is excluded from rover. They're not. But our foundation is based on that lovely scripture. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but what is the greatest commandment? It's love the Lord your God, but love your neighbour as yourself. And that was our foundational scripture. So it's easy for me to say I can live the the mission here, which is to love our neighbour which is those in our care, whether it's staff, volunteers, any stakeholders, my mission and Maraba's mission is to love those people.
1: If you start with that as your core, then it's pretty easy for everything else to fall in place, isn't it?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: That's lovely. And uh, I do have to mention because I I still can't get over the fact that your milk was delivered by horse and cart because, you know, these days people would probably spend $1,500 on a bespoke uh, glamping experience where they get their breakfast delivered by a horse and cart, <laughs> and that was just your every day
0: yes that was normal that's right and we we had the great big heavy duty bread baskets that we would leave our bread basket out on the front porch and the, the baker would deliver it and um and we were on the top of the hill and I always used to think how does the horse you know how does it not Run down the hill, you know. Is the horse that strong? He's holding the cart back, and uh, but anyway.
1: So those were funny times. Yeah. Well. Uh, so you, am I correct in saying as well that you grew up in uh, in the Newcastle area as well?
0: Yes. So yes. this is all
1: happening in Newcastle. Yeah.
0: Yes. Absolutely. And I'm then, a Newcastle girl.
1: Yeah, and still here. Yeah. So that's a really cool story as well. Just from you know from that standpoint. Have you ever been asked a question about um you know did you think about going? To other areas to to you know lead aged care facilities there or or those kind of things.
0: No, not really. I have I have been asked uh, over the years if I would like to join another service, but I, I feel there's not many places where you can have your heart on your sleeve and it's okay. No, it's <laughs> where not the, trouble. Where the foundation is is love, and I you know I feel that my time will be over soon. You know, I maybe might go another few years, but when Maroba turns 70, because it's got a nice ring to it, and might be time for me to go or sooner. But it's, uh, I, I've got no regrets. Uh, I don't regret staying here. Um, and it's been wonderful to be uh, part of the Maroba community and family. It's been enjoyable, challenging. You know, is every day easy? No, there isn't an easy day. It is every day different. Yes, it is. And having great people around you actually is what delivers the result, not what I do. I always say to the staff, you know, you guys just make me look awesome. It's <laughs> not what I'm doing. It's what you're doing that makes us look good. I just keep talking, but everyone else is actually making it happen and doing it very well.
1: Speaking of the team, the great staff and the great Employees and Maroba as an employer, that's you know where we were introduced to you as part of the Prime Super Employer Excellence in Aged Care Award, um, which is uh, part of the New South Wales and ACT Regional Achievement and Community Awards. So, you know, that would have been a really great recognition for the team there as well.
0: Yes, it was. And uh, we actually set up our Zoom on the thing here at Maroba and uh, watched it here live. So it was, it was great to be part of that. Uh, and, and look, it was a real honour to be to be recognised, and uh, but to see the other finalists and other winners, there were some wonderful stories in our state of people doing amazing things uh, under duress, under difficult circumstances. Mm. But you know, I think as Australians, people shine, and as Aussies, you know, we don't like to shine, but <laughs> but we but many do. Yes, and it's great for them to be recognised.
1: Well, that's yeah, what the awards are about. Because you know, you said that just really nicely that they Aussies' art they shine and they they do such great things, and especially in regional areas, yes. community and people contributing to that is the heart of towns. And what these awards are about is saying, well, we understand that you don't want to put yourself up on a pedestal, but you know, there's a lot of people in the community who think you're doing a great job. They've nominated you, and by sharing your story, we're actually Creating really positive role models. We're creating pride for the region. And there's a lot of good reasons uh, to do it.
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Now, the other thing you touched on was uh, you and the team joined the Zoom call because, of course, we couldn't hold an event, unfortunately. How did that impact? You know, Maroba uh, working through you know large periods of last year when they're on the shore, you would have had to have completely new restrictions and guidelines and all sorts of things in place.
0: Look, it was a very It's been a very tough year and it remains tough uh, because the advice we get from the authorities uh, is often conflicting, you know, may not make sense or does not take account of the, wait a minute, we're all going backwards financially and now we've got to do this with no consideration to that. No, you've just got to do it and we'll be inspecting you and making sure you are doing it and, It was very difficult circumstances. I have to say, you know, people have been fatigued, incredibly fatigued and remain fatigued because it still hasn't stopped. Uh, We we only came out of masks, uh, you know, two weeks ago and we're all walking around feeling like we've got to keep putting our hands (laughs) over our mouths and feeling like we're we're naughty because we haven't got our masks on. But we still have restrictions and yet New South Wales um, government advice First line is there are no restrictions on the number of visitors into aged care. You can have as many visitors as you like. But then as you go through it, oh no, wait a minute, you still have to socially distance 1.5 metres. Oh, wait a minute, they still shouldn't go into communal areas because of the risk of contamination of surfaces. And then families get upset with us that we still have a restriction here that if you know to visit inside you can only have two people at, other than yourself in your bedroom because yep. the government says, oh, you can have as many as you like.
1: So it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't quite work that it way. It doesn't
0: work out. And so we've got these contradictions in the advice um, and in the commission, I'm in the commission, and they just said, no, they, it's their room, they can have as many as they like, and and no, that's all good. But it, But the New South Wales health orders are quite contrary. It's, yes, you can have as many as you like, but wait a minute. Their bedroom isn't the size of a ballroom. <laughs> so yep. Hang on a minute. Um, we're still going to put people at risk. It just is quite bizarre. So, under the pressure of um having to have vaccines last May, by the I think it was the twelfth or the twenty second of May, that we couldn't get a vaccine for love nor money, and I was about to have to stand down a whole workforce because we couldn't get vaccines, but. Uh, a local industry, the aluminium manufacturer, managed to get 6,000 employees vaccinated. Mm, wow. But they didn't have an order on them to have to be vaccinated, but, but we did. While I was making contact with the, the government, with our local member and to the minister uh, for quite some time, and in the end I had to send people to pharmacies all over the region and to bring back their receipt for $25 a head, whereas we'd do all our own vaccinations at a much cheaper cost um, to make sure that, and then two days before the date, the, the supply arrived. so But I'd spend a fortune because yeah. I, I couldn't run the risk of not having anyone here. So not having PPE, you know, it was all very well for the government. They were saying to, they were saying to the nation, oh, no, we've got a great stockpile. We'll be supporting aged care facilities, but... Each aged care facility didn't have enough supply. Like I had enough. If I had an outbreak, I would have had enough for one day, 24 hours. Jeez. And the government was wondering why we were wanting to be in lockdown. Because they're saying, oh, no, no, you you mustn't be. But we knew when we measured our own risk, we didn't have enough PPE. We wouldn't have had enough staff because we were in an exercise that we did, it was clear that we were going to lose probably 50 to 80% of the staff.
1: If there was have an outbreak.
0: To have to be stood down in an outbreak. Yeah. Now, where do I get 80% of a workforce just like that? And the government says, oh, no, we'll be riding over the hill any minute on a white horse and we'll sort it. Well, we saw what happened in Victoria and Sydney. That didn't happen. And places were left um, very vulnerable. And so it was a big uh, we, You know, I had to escalate things. I was talking to the press and uh, so forth. That was you know, a lot of pressure uh, because the press was saying to me, will you go on the record, Viv? And I say, of course I'll go on the record. And they say, well, no one else will. They're mm. afraid of the commission. They're afraid of the government pushback on them. <laughs> I just think, well, we're, we're, at the end of the day, There's all these lives that we need to protect. Now, if I step on someone's toes to do that, I'll do it every day of the week. There's the heart on the sleeve. I'm I'm going to do it whether I step on a toe or not. And so it was a a very pressured time and our staff were feeling the same pressure. They were very excited that that I was pushing for them, for their protection as well. They felt very safe and secure, but everyone's tired. Everyone's tired. Fatigue yep. has set in. Um, and now with the Royal Commission report coming out, there's going to be no respite, I fear, for workforces in aged care. That how much longer can they go with not enough staff, not enough wages, uh, and now the additional layers of compliance that's going to be put upon them, all of us.
1: Yeah, well, the the Royal Commission and and aged care, you know, in general at the moment is a very hot topic, it appears. Um, And so would you mind, you know, for those who maybe aren't as familiar with what's going on, just give a little, you know, rundown and I guess I know that you've been, as you said before, you've been uh, in the press recently on this topic as well. So, yeah, so what's kind of the little summary that you could maybe give us? Well,
0: there's the Royal Commission has gone for more than two years looking into the situation in aged care and hearing from a lot of people that have had direct experience and and bad experiences. I don't really think they heard from anyone that had a good experience. Mm. So the whole perception is from the commissioners is this is a situation of neglect, of national neglect. So that's the the tone of the report. But there was 148 recommendations uh, around a whole range of things from A new act is needed, new financing arrangements is needed, new commissions needed, um, new workforce initiatives, uh, strategies to develop and improve governance and boards in aged care. Uh, So very broad ranging. Uh, Unfortunately, the both commissioners couldn't agree on everything, like how it should be funded or whether the watchdog should be under the government or an independent body, for instance. Now, we've got a a once-in-a-generation opportunity here to get aged care right, and unless there is serious money put towards this, you can't fix something that's so broken for for that's been broken for years and just in the last 10 years uh, for instance, wages have gone up 38%. Now, that sounds a lot, but over the time it's been, you know, it might be a 1.5 or 2.5 or 3 and, you know, over time. But subsidies have only gone up 18%. Now, I know I said to you in the beginning I don't do numbers, but I i don't need to be a rocket scientist to work out that that is totally unsustainable. Yep. In that time there's been two freezes, complete freezes of the subsidy. Another year there was a $2 billion clawback because the government said, oh, they're claiming too much. They put in laws that said that if a manager was found to have made an incorrect claim, there could be criminal penalties. What's come out of the Royal Commission was completely foreseeable and any politician that will stand in that house and say what a shock and a surprise it is to have got to this is not genuine. Mm. they're a fake. Because
1: Basically ignoring incremental issues that are appearing over the years. Over time.
0: You know, until, over, yeah. over 20 years, there's been over 26 reports, mostly ignored. And now it's, oh, my goodness, and the Prime Minister had a few tears over it. Well, really? Uh, this was foreseeable and it was on your watch too, not just the previous governments. So everyone's very quick to... Uh, be critical of aged care, and yes, their criticism is warranted. But on the other hand, we we can't keep giving more than is available to us. At some point, the government has to come clean with the community and say, listen, we're not prepared to pay for the system that we need. Oh, and you're not prepared to pay more taxes, so suck it up. You're going to have to be put up with this system. So someone has to come clean instead of just saying, oh, no, it's those wicked providers. Look, there are wicked people in this sector, but it's not a lot. It's not a lot. Majority, people come to work with the intention of making a difference to an older person because I can tell you the lowest paid people in Australia are in aged care and they don't come for the money, but they come because they're committed to making a difference. So the majority of people are doing an exceptional job under incredible duress and are not paid what they are worth.
1: Yep. I can uh, testify that the people I personally know who are in aged care and in health, you know, as a broader uh, industry, yeah, they're not doing it because they're coming for an excellent paycheck. Yes. Doing it because their heart is in it.
0: Yeah. There's no bonuses. You don't get a bonus for how many, you know, incontinence pads you change. mm there's no bonus for how many people you assist with their meal. There is no bonus. It's a very minimal wage. and, uh, and that's, there's got to be a shift. And for the government to keep blaming the training, you know aged care, aged care providers aren't providing enough training. well wait a minute. when the cert 3 that the certificate 3, the AI assisted in nursing, uh, started, it was a very robust program. But then the government really took hold of it and created national competencies. Well, look, guess what? They turned out to be national incompetencies. So, where do we stand? This is government deemed, government required training that now people can do over a couple of weeks and not even touch a patient. But that's somehow our fault as well. So, uh, it's a bit sad.
1: Yes. Well, uh, if we were able to get you in front of the government, the decision makers, and get get a Viv talk happening, <laughs> you know, what are some kind of uh, positive things that we can say, well, actually this is what we're doing or this is what we could be doing to really make a difference?
0: Well, I'd certainly be talking about the, um, the goodwill economy in terms of creating teaching facilities because yeah. that's where you can really make a difference. Uh, I'd be saying that we need to uh, change the way that we train our care workers We need to really front up and say, well, look, we know that registered nurses can make a real difference if they're given the opportunity to actually do the care instead of all the administrative work required to support the funding tools, So Mm -hmm. get people back to, to their clinical roles and their clinical expertise because across aged care, many have lost some of those important skills because they're too busy doing all the paperwork associated with keeping our funding. So... I would say there's a lot. There was a wonderful opportunity uh, to really change our focus for older people and give them a better hope for the future for their lives, instead of the fear they face. The fear of see people think it's people just fear going to a nursing home, but let me tell you, older people fear going to hospital. But have we got a royal commission into the hospital? What's happening there? No, we don't. Uh, people don't realise how many people die at the hands of healthcare professionals uh, uh, with with mistakes. But if it's a national incident, if there's a mistake in an aged care service where I don't have all qualified people, there's Certificate three people who do very well, but they don't have the expertise, the layers of expertise. So I'd, I'd, I'd bring that into focus. That Let's look at this mix of staffing and, and let's truly support that with proper funding uh, to have the right people looking after people that are Very complex. Some uh, may not need as much physical assistance, but their needs are very complex. Remember, the times have changed. Uh, People used to drive their cars into aged care hostels. It was a social model of care because they didn't want to be at home alone anymore and they wanted someone to do their meals and their cooking and their cleaning and, and that's how it started. But now people are coming in very frail, much sicker, advanced dementia and mental health issues and it's very complex Mm. and it just isn't enough hours in the care dollar uh, to provide for everything that they need so that would be uh, a sharp focus uh, to ask the government to give consideration to the joy of this is if they step up to the plate and put their hands on their heart and say I'm going to be the government that makes uncomfortable decisions about taxes and I'm going to commit the money Uh, then they too will experience the joy of making a difference to an older person.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, it's that makes sense because this is an issue for everyone. We've all got loved ones who, you know, and we all get older ourselves and we'll be in the same position. Uh, As we get older, we want to be in the best possible care, in loving and caring care. And I think everyone listening here has their own opinion on it, but I, for one, think that... uh, as I get older, maybe uh, moving to Newcastle, get to Maroba.
0: <laughs> well, I have to say, as a single childless woman and ageing rapidly, I have chosen. I, I want to come to Marouba uh, because I know what we offer here. I'm not interested in a small 10-person cottage because that's everyone's pushing for cottages and small home, uh, little environments. See, I like the cruise ship aspect because... I don't want to be in a house with 10 people I don't like. <laughs> Whereas if I'm in a building with 100 people, I can make friends all over the place. I can go all over the place and try different experiences and, and, and get involved in different activities instead of just the same 10 people every day. I, I'm not, I don't want to do that. I, I, I cringe at the thought. Now, those cottages will suit some people. They'll suit them beautifully. But not everyone, and I, I, I fear that the government, in the recommendations, it mentions about you know they, they they need to move to these smaller models of services and so forth. But I just cringe. I just think, no, no I don't want to do that. I don't want to be caught with ten people I don't like.
1: It sounds like a bad reality show when you put yeah, it that does.
0: way. Yeah, that's right, Big Brother.
1: <laughs> no, Vivia, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. You're a fantastic leader, uh, an absolute. gem of the newcastle community i think as a whole and uh, i'm just excited for people to hear this get really you know i guess hear some positive news and some positive stories about aged care and that people really care they really as you said you wear your heart in your sleeve and i think that's what we need
0: absolutely well look it's been great talking to you and uh, i've thoroughly enjoyed my hour so it's been the highlight of my week
1: oh thanks (laughs) before i let you go can people uh have, if they want to hear more about you can they connect with you on linkedin for example
0: yes yes i'm on linkedin yes yep. and absolutely and uh on the Moraba facebook page and uh and yes so that's probably the best way
1: yep. and so, you know
0: on the Moraba website you you can find how to contact me call me whatever
1: um, lovely thank you viv absolute pleasure and uh, we look forward to following these next few years. And yeah, exciting that Maroba will come to, to 70 years. Very cool.
0: Yeah, yes, very soon. Yeah. Thanks, Bib. Okay, thank you. Bye for, bye for now. Bye now.
1: I hope you enjoyed that interview. If you liked it or any of our other episodes, it would be great if you can rate and review the Inspirational Australians podcast. It really helps us out. If someone you know needs a little dose of inspiration, why not let them know about this podcast? And if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed. So that you won't miss an episode, join us each week as we talk with ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. You can always head to our website at awardsaustralia.com/podcast for more information and details on each guest. Now, before we go, I'd like to thank Annette, our producer. Here's a fun fact: Annette is my mum, and our other host, Jeff, is my dad. This podcast is brought to you by Awards Australia a family-owned business that proudly uncovers the stories of people who make a difference for others. We can only do this with the support of our corporate and not-for-profit partners as they make our awards programs possible. So do you know someone making a difference? If you'd like to recommend someone to be a guest on the podcast, get in touch through our Instagram page, inspirational.australians. Or maybe your business might like to sponsor the podcast or get involved with the awards we run. Head to our website, awardsaustralia.com, for more details. Until next week, stay safe, and remember, together we make a difference.
0: Thanks for joining us today on the Inspirational Australians podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and have been inspired by ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. So it's goodbye for another week. Remember, together we make a difference.